Good morning. I'd like to welcome all of you here to Faith. Welcome to those of you who are worshiping here in the worship center. Welcome to those of you who are joining us in the venue in the north end of the building, as well as those of you who are with us online. If this is one of your first times to join us, we would uh, love it if you would fill out the connection card. You'll find that online on the website. Uh, you can go there and fill that out. One of the things you can do there is sign up for uh, the e-blast, which is the main, the best way to stay current on what's happening here at Faith. You can find that on the website or on the church, uh, church center app as well. You can find there a sermon outline for the message here today. Many of you have heard the story about the little boy whose Sunday school teacher asked this question. Uh, she said, what do you call a small brown animal it's got a bushy curved tail and it hops around in trees and it sometimes scurries along the power lines. And the little boy thought about it and he thought about it and he said, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm gonna say Jesus, All right? <laughs> in Sunday school, the answer is usually Jesus, right? Today we're gonna look at a passage of scripture which James asks a series of questions and the answer is always prayer. He says, are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Pray. Are you sick? Call for the elders to come and pray. Have you sinned? Confess your sins to one another and pray. In chapter one, he, he said, if you lack wisdom, pray. God gives generously without reproach. In chapter four, he said, there are some things you lack in your life because you do not pray. And so why is prayer the answer to every question? Or another way to say it is, why is prayer relevant in any and every circumstance? Well, the answer is because God is relevant in any and every circumstance. When we pray, whether it's petition or lament or thanksgiving or praise, we're acknowledging the relevance of God in those specific circumstances. And we're inviting the grace of God into our lives. And so today as we talk through James 5 verses 13 through 18, I'm going to try to point out why praying uh, in every circumstance is, is, is a fantastic way to acknowledge God and invite his grace into the details of our lives. One thing that will become obvious is the better you know God, the more fervently and probably the more effectively you will pray. So we'll see in various the various aspects of God's character will be a motivation to pray in different circumstances. The first circumstance that James mentions is suffering and happiness. So he's talking about anywhere on the emotional spectrum, prayer is appropriate. <clears throat> he says this in verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? It's often translated suffering. Let him pray. Is anyone happy or cheerful? Let them sing praises. And so he begins by talking about suffering. And he's talking about this internal experience when you realize I am troubled inside because of something I'm going through. And so James says, uh, he says that that is the appropriate time to pray. And so I would ask you, what type of suffering are you experiencing right now? What are you going through right now? that troubles you internally. It may be something that's self-inflicted, something you've done. It might be others inflicted, someone has done to you. It might just be something that is common to humanity. It's just the type of trouble that we all experience in this life. Why does James say we should pray if we're troubled? 
Well, I could give a lot of different reasons. I'll just, just give three. The first reason is because God is the God of comfort. You need comfort when you're troubled, and God can comfort you in ways no one else can. Second reason in James 1 said that, that God refines us through trials. And so when you're going through a trial, it's appropriate that you say, God, I don't want to miss this. This is a perfectly good trial. I don't want to miss the refining that you're doing in my life. So we pray and we ask God to do his work. The third reason I'll mention is that when you pray, you are coming to the throne of grace. Nothing's being sold. Nothing's being raffled off. You are simply being given something you don't deserve. And so God is eager to give us grace and mercy. And so if we don't come to God when we're suffering, uh, for starters, we'll likely misinterpret our suffering. We'll think I'm suffering, God doesn't like me, or God's asleep, or God's angry at me. But if we come to him in prayer, we'll remember his character and we'll pray in light of that. If we don't pray when we're suffering, we'll miss all sorts of grace and mercy that we absolutely need in the midst of our suffering. So if you're suffering, pray. He says, is anyone happy or cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Why is it appropriate to turn to God when we're cheerful? Well, because God is the giver of all good gifts. Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes down from above. And so we've experienced a good gift from our Heavenly Father, and it's only right that we pause and we make eye contact with Him and we acknowledge, my cheerfulness is grounded in your goodness. I don't know if you can remember a time when somebody looked at you in the eye and they said, you know what you said to me, what, what you did, it was a powerful encouragement in my life. If you can remember a time like that, you know how satisfying it was. It's like the circle is complete. You've done something good, and the, the, the thanks, thanks has come back. God deserves that satisfaction as well. God deserves to hear, God, you have given me a good gift, and so I praise you. And James actually says you should sing praises. And so we do that corporately when we gather. But we can do that individually as well. Bust out a hymn, bust out a worship, a worship song. You sing Jesus loves me to God if you would like. You can sing the doxology, sing praises. Wherever you are in the emotional spectrum, suffering, cheerfulness, pray. In verses 14 and 15, James speaks of sickness, and he's talking about when we're physically sick, although a person may be unwell emotionally and, and spiritually as well. But he says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. James obviously isn't suggesting that we shouldn't seek medical attention. He's not suggesting we can't pray for ourselves or that we can't ask family and friends to pray for us. But he's saying there are certain occasions where it's appropriate to call for the elders to come and pray for you. And the elders are kind of the foundational leadership in the local church. Elders are shepherds who deeply care about the well-being of the church on an individual and a corporate level. And it's not that elders have some hotline to heaven that other people don't. It's just one more evidence of the interconnectedness that, that God has, or the interdependence God has built into the body of Christ. God's very inefficient in this in many ways. Why don't I just pray for the things I need? Why do I have to call somebody else and have them pray? And then God sends the healing. Well, we're interdependent. And so if you call for the elders to come and pray, they will come as representatives of the body 
the whole body of Christ. And in essence, the elders will come and pray, Heavenly Father, we ask you on behalf of the entire church to bring healing to this specific person, this member of the body of Christ. When one suffers, one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And so it's appropriate to call for the elders because God has designed the body to be interdependent. He says, when called, the elders come and pray over the sick person. Some suggest that, uh, some, some commentators suggest that the person is bedridden. So you almost literally pray over the person. And he says, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, oil was, was poured over a person's head typically to anoint them. And the oil symbolized uh, God's presence and it symbolized God's calling in that person's life. Uh, Psalm 133 talks about the, the oil flowing down over the beard of Aaron. And so when we anoint someone with oil, it's the same symbolism. We're saying that you belong to God. God is present in your life, and he has a calling on your life. You, you are set apart for his purposes. Let me put your mind at rest. We won't pour a quart of oil on your head or something like that. When I'm involved, we typically will dip the thumb in, in the oil and make the sign of the cross. We'll anoint with oil, and then we pray in the name of the Lord. And so we're not coming in our name. We're coming in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the name that has clout in the heavenly realm. He is the healer. He's the great physician. And then verse 15, James says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And so a prayer offered in faith is simply a prayer that's prayed with deep confidence that God is not only willing, but he is able to bring healing in a person's life. In chapter one, James talked about praying for wisdom, praying in faith, faith in God versus having doubt. And uh, the commandments there that, number one, that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and number two, the Lord will raise them up. And perhaps meaning that they're raised up out of their bedridden state. They're literally able to rise again. Uh, it sounds like this blanket statement, right? It almost sounds like every single time you do this, if you pray in faith, the person will be healed. And the emphasis here for sure is on confidence that God is, is able and willing to bring healing to a person's life. And so if the elders come and pray for you, we're going to pray for your healing. We're not going to qualify it to death and say, give the impression, God, you probably don't want to do this, but we're going to pray anyway. No, we are praying, believing, God, we, we believe it's your desire to heal people. At the same time, uh, for, for reasons often unknown to us, sometimes God does not heal in this life. And so we understand that. That's my understanding of what was happening with Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. But in the last line of verse 15, James acknowledges the possibility, not the likelihood or the probability, the possibility that the sick person might also be dealing with some sin issue. And we know from John chapter 9, the man who was born blind, there was no sin involved in that. We know from Job's uh, sickness, his boils and sores, there was, no sick, there was no sin involved in that either. And so not all sickness is the result of sin, but occasionally that's the case. We're told that in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. But whether or not sin has caused the illness, God desires to bring a fresh experience of forgiveness and cleansing to the person who is sick. 
And that observation that if there is sin, it will be forgiven, it leads James to broaden out and to talk specifically about praying for each other in relation to our sins. And so in verse 16, he broadens out the focus to the entire church. And what he advocates here could be considered as as a sort of preventative medicine. He writes this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so in addition to confessing our sins directly to God, James says, confess your sins one to another uh, so, and so that you might pray for one another. And so here he envisions two or more persons uh, in uh, mutual confession to each other. So it's not just going one way, there's this, it's reciprocal. And so when you confess your sin to, to someone else, and this may, if you've never experienced this, this may sound like the most intimidating, threatening, maybe even weird thing that you can imagine. But instead of holding your sin tightly and hiding it from people, you simply bring it out into the light in front of a trusted brother or sister in Christ. And when you confess your sin, you just readily admit, God, what I have done, it is incompatible with your design. It's not your desire. It is not your will. And that's true whether you're talking about gossip or slander or envy or lust or, or whatever it is. You're saying, God, this is not your will. And you're actually basically saying, God, this sin that I've committed, this is one of the many, many reasons why Jesus was willing to be falsely convicted and beaten and flogged and stripped naked and crucified publicly. That is the payment, the penalty that my sin deserved. And so when you confess your sin to one another, it's, it's a, it's a just coming clean with somebody. And if you've ever done that with somebody you trust, you know that it's a cathartic thing. And that's oftentimes where the healing begins and the repentance begins. Uh, uh, David said in Psalm 32, he said, when I remained silent about my sin, my vitality drained away. He could feel it in his body. And so then he he came clean before God and the, the forgiveness, the restoration started. But that's not really what James, why James says we should confess our sins to one another. Again, the answer is prayer. He said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed, so God might heal you. And that's primarily a reference to spiritual health, but it could be physical also. And so the fact that God is our healer, God is the one who forgives, that's a powerful motivation for us to pray and the fact that God did not withhold his only son, but he gave him up freely for us all, that assures us that he won't withhold any good thing. He desires to, to forgive us and, give, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know that, that many of you already have that type of relationship with someone else, uh, somebody you trust. You don't want this relationship with somebody you don't trust, somebody you can't keep confidence Uh, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have these types of relationships in my life. For the past 40 plus years since I've known Christ, I can't imagine where I'd be if I didn't have trusted brothers that I can can just be honest with, that that just know me in 
in a pretty comprehensive way. And so if you don't have that type of relationship, I would encourage you to, to pray, cry out to God, God, I need a person like this in my life. I need this relationship so I can practice this one another freely in a, in a healing type of way. Somebody who will pray for me. I believe that's a prayer that God loves to answer. answer. Uh, God, give me that person. The last sentence in verse 16 reads, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A righteous person is someone who is rightly related to God and therefore that person acts rightly. A person is not perfect, but they generally have this clean hands and clean hands and a pure heart. And so God loves to answer the prayers of those who come and pray to him in that spirit. Uh, and so that person's prayer is powerful and effective. And in verses 17 and 18, James uses Isaiah or Elijah as an example of such a person. He was a righteous person who prayed powerful and effective prayers. And uh, Elijah was a prophet during the days of the divided kingdom in the Old, Old Testament. He was in the northern kingdom in Israel, and he was an exceptional person. Very few people in the Bible uh, saw God do miracles through them the way Elijah did. At the transfiguration in Matthew 17, when Jesus was on the mountain, he was transfigured. Two people were there, Moses and Elijah. So he's... He's a top-notch follower of God, no doubt about it. But the thing that James emphasized is not his uniqueness, but his similarity to us. In verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And so James's point is that Elijah wasn't in a different category than us. Uh, he had a nature like ours. He was a human being. He had weaknesses, fears, anxieties. And he's making reference to the, the incident that's recorded in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And uh, God's judgment on King Ahab and Israel came in the form of a drought. And God told Elijah that, that he was going to bring that drought we're told here that Elijah prayed and it happened. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Then verse 18, again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. And when you read the account, one thing that's very striking is that this wasn't Elijah just deciding, okay, maybe the drought's over, I'm gonna pray and God's gonna do it. No, we're actually told in, in 1 Kings 18.1 that God decided it's time for the drought to be over. That's why Elijah prayed. He prayed according to the will of God. We're told that Elijah went up on Mount Carmel. He crouched down. He put his face between his knees, talking about how fervently he prayed, and he prayed that it would rain again. We're told the rain didn't come immediately. He had to pray seven times. He kept sending his servant, go see, is there a storm on the way? And the seventh time, there was a cloud the size of a hand on the horizon, and God brought the rain. And so Elijah's praying is a pattern for us to follow, and certainly his circumstances were unique. And so this isn't suggesting just think up the weirdest, most bizarre, most outlandish thing you can think of and pray and, and, and trust God will do it. No, it's an example of praying according to the will of God, but it does suggest that we not pray safe prayers, praying for things that are 
we think are probably going to happen anyway. This suggests that we take risks in praying for the will of God. However we understand the will of God in all its fullness, that's what we pray for. And we trust that God will bring it about, especially in this context of confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. And so I think this is where the powerful, the power of God is manifest most often, is when we pray for God's will to be furthered in one another's life. And so we pray fervently. The, the, prayer of a, uh, the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why? Because God is powerful and God is for us. Or in other words, God is great and God is good. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I had my, my annual physical and among the many things that the doctor checked out were my reflexes. And so I sat on the table, he's got this little rubber mallet and he taps that tendon right below the knee. And I didn't decide this. This was involuntary. My leg kicked up, and that's a good, re- that's a good thing. It's called a knee-jerk reaction, right? That's reflexes. When I read James 5, that's the impression I get when it comes to prayer. The impression I get is that, that we should pay attention to our circumstances and even pay attention to our emotions. And as a reflex... We pray, we just instinctively turn to God in prayer. And so this week, when you realize, I'm troubled inside because I'm, I'm suffering some way, I've got some turmoil, pray, pray to God. Say, God, teach me what you want here. Deliver me in the midst of this, this trouble. God, I want to experience your comfort here. Or maybe you notice that you're cheerful. Something has brought you joy. Well, God has given you a good gift. So look him in the eye and say, God, I praise you. Sing a song to God, pray. Or maybe you realize that you're, you're sick in some way, ill physically. You can pray for yourself. You can have friends pray for you, family. You might also want to call for the elders to come and pray for you. Again, God is a healer. He's more generous than we can fathom. He really is. Or maybe you realize that you are, are feeling guilty and it's not... It's not for no reason, but actually there is some sin that comes to mind and you are burdened down, you are weighted down. And so pray, go to God, confess that sin to him, but but confess it to a, a dear brother or sister in Christ and let them pray for you and experience the fresh cleansing. God is just... God is, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this week, let this run through your mind. Let it be an instinctive response. Why is is it appropriate to pray in every circumstance? Because God is relevant in every circumstance. He really is. Heavenly Father, we pray that this week, as we go through our week, that we would be attentive to what we're going through, even our emotions and our circumstances. And God, we pray that you would prompt us by your Holy Spirit to pray, to pray when we're in trouble, pray when we're glad, pray when we're sick, pray when we're guilty. God, that we would turn to you in every circumstance. God, we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us in our praying. We often don't know what to pray, so lead us in our praying. We thank you that the Spirit prays for us. We thank you that Jesus himself intercedes for us. God, may we not neglect this amazing gift you've given us of prayer. And so lead us, lead us this week by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.